Let's pray. Lord Jesus, shine your light on us. Amen. So uh, a few, uh, I guess about over the last week and a half or so, uh, a few people in the congregation have come up to me and have been asking me uh, a question, a pretty important question, I guess, related to Christmas. And it's a question that most people find themselves asking during this time of year, and so I'm not really surprised that it's on people's mind. In fact, uh, you could Google this question, and you would find a variety of responses. I even have to admit that I probably spent too much time reading the variety of responses, because I was kind of shocked that there are so many. Apparently people have strong opinions about lots of things. And for me, ultimately, I came down to the fact that I don't know if there is any wrong answer to this question. The question that people have been asking me is this. Pastor, when is the right time to take down my Christmas lights? <laughs> and people were very quick to explain that they've heard me talk about how, uh, you know, I feel strongly that you shouldn't play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And so, uh, you know, if, if you can't start too early, well, then how long is too long? You know, at what point do the lights need to come down? And I wanted to clarify, I'm only talking about the lights. You know, people have mentioned to me their tree and other things. This is all about the light. And so I kind of thought about it, and I realized that my opinion now is still the same as when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, my dad and I would spend weeks putting lights up and eventually taking them down. And I always kind of had the same response to him, and it's a response that I still feel now, even as Lauren and I are preparing to deal with our lights. When it comes to how long is too long or what you should do with your Christmas lights, my advice is this. Just unplug them and leave them up. And uh, as people have kind of looked at me throughout the morning with either kind of like a, that sounds crazy, or just thinking I'm, I'm lazy, the reality is you are working smarter and not harder, because then you don't have to put them up next year. And, and, you know, some people were wondering, well, but what if the weather gets bad and, you know, you don't know if they're going to stay on and all this kind of stuff. Here's the thing. Just plug them in once a month, and then you'll be able to know what you need to replace. And, and what's even better about that is if you leave them on overnight, your neighbors down the block will look and be like, is it Christmas already? Did I forget to put my lights up? What month is it? Right? So, you know, you just kind of invite everyone into that unique experience. You see, for all the strong feelings that I have about uh, Christmas music too early, when it comes to Christmas lights, my feelings are way less strong. And there's probably a variety of reasons for that, but only one that is relevant to us this morning. And that is uh, the fact that uh, light has power in our lives. And we experience the power of light in many and various ways. None more importantly than the fact that light has power to bring hope to the world. So as you've heard throughout the morning, we're celebrating this Feast of Epiphany, a special day in the life of the church. Epiphany, uh, which takes place on January 6th, is uh, the season that is marked by light. And on Christmas, we have 12 days to celebrate Jesus being born and, and hear how he is the light of the world. Epiphany picks right up on that, that light connects these two seasons together. And, of course, Epiphany is all about how this light has been revealed for all the world to see, the one true light who changes the world forever. It's just as John writes in his gospel, that the light shines in the darkness, and no darkness can overcome it. So when we think about what light does in our lives, I've come to realize that the list is probably rather endless. And yet, if I had to kind of order things, the thing that I would say first and foremost is most kind of important or the top function of light in our lives is that it changes how we see the world. 
that uh, gives us the ability first to see the world around us, but then uh, along with that, it physically changes how we see the world with, with all kinds of colors and reverberations and lots of science explanation, but you get the point that light helps us see things differently. And in the Gospel of Matthew, light does three really powerful things. It reveals, it guides, and it sustains. And all three of these things coming together point us to a promise from God. That as God sends the light to reveal, to guide, and to sustain, the one true light that is Jesus brings hope to the world. And so we start to see this at the beginning of the story of these wise men, or magi, as we often hear them, that they arrive in the city of Jerusalem, and the first thing they do is ask a very important question that explains why they traveled in the first place. They said, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. So scripture tells us that these men came from the east, and it's well known, or at least assumed, that they traveled from a really, really far away place. In fact, some historians say that they traveled for perhaps months or even years before they finally arrived in Jerusalem. And it's all because of this light, because of this star that had been revealed to them. Or in their words, they saw his star at its rising. And what's fascinating about this statement is that these men were men who studied the stars. See, as you maybe have heard from me or Pastor Mark before, even though we always call these men the wise men or the three kings, there's a pretty good chance that they were neither wise in the wisdom of the world or royalty or kings in any way, shape, or form. They were most likely first century astrologers. So they spent all their time studying the sun, the moon, the stars, and, and how that affected people's lives and what that looked like. And back then, they would have really been kind of seen as like masters of the dark arts. People didn't really deal with those things, so they would have stood out amongst the rest of the crowd. And so for them to have observed this star in the sky and traveled all this way just because of this star, it means that this was no ordinary star. As they put it, this star was the star that marked the sign that a newborn king of the Jews was here. And so they see this star revealed before their eyes. And it reveals this incredible news to them. But it's kind of interesting because the fact that this was the star of the king of the Jews would have been irrelevant to their personal lives. Right from the context clues that Matthew gives us, we can tell that these people are not of Jewish descent. So they're coming to see the newborn king of the Jews that doesn't really impact their lives in any specific or particular way. And yet they travel for months, maybe even years, to finally see the result of this star. That just by its appearance in that night sky, this star was different. This light is revealed to them. They don't see it upon their own. It is showing something different to them. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that you do? Uh, before you even grab your phone or shut your alarm off or, or stretch or yawn, the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning is open your eyes. And none of us do this uh, with the thought in our heads. None of us wake up and say, okay, I'm going to open my eyes now. We just do it. It's something that just happens. And in that moment, our world goes from darkness to light. From that point on, whether it's because you left a light on overnight or light is coming in through the windows, everything about the way you see the world changes. 
right? And even if you see just a sliver of light, your eyes begin to work. They're trying to show you what the light is, to show you what's going on in the room around you. Uh, Think about when you walk into a dark room for the first time. The first thing that you look to do is turn on the light. And this is so instinctual that sometimes we just kind of feel the wall, like, okay, there should be a light switch here, right? And then you turn the lights on, and now the whole room is revealed to you. You can see all that is right in front of you. In the simplest of ways, ways that we don't even think about what we're actually doing, we begin to experience how the light in our world reveals things in our lives every single day. But that's not all the light has come to do, that there is more that light does for us. And we start to see this in how the story continues on. That now that these men have arrived in Jerusalem, they're talking to the king, actually the man who believes he is the king of the Jews. And so when they tell him that there's been a newborn king, he's thinking to himself, well, I haven't had a son, so what's going on here? He calls his chief priests in, he asks them what's going on, and they tell him, well, yeah, the prophet Micah, this prophet once said that there would be a baby born in Bethlehem. So then the king calls them in and tells them to go out so that he can receive the news of where this kid is so that they can find him. And it's interesting how the king phrases it. He tells them to search diligently for this baby. And so then he sends them out. And for the Magi, they were going out with one purpose. When they left uh, Jerusalem, when they left King Herod, their purpose was still to go and worship this newborn king. But all they have is this information that he was born somewhere in Bethlehem until the light appears again. This time the light comes to guide them. See, uh, while Herod thought that they were going to have to search, the light appears before them, and this time the light is moving. It's fascinating that what was once revealed to them appears again, almost as if the, the stars in the sky again, to say that the light will not abandon them. That it brought them this far, and it will continue to be with them. It will now continue to guide them. I love how vividly Scripture describes this movement. It says, when they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. So it's not only that the star was revealed to them, but it's now that the star will guide them on this five-mile journey. And as Scripture says, it is moving with them. They are actually following it because this light, this star, is leading them along the way. It's guiding them to the place that they need to be. And eventually, that star stops. And it doesn't just stop over the city. It doesn't just stop as if, like, okay, you get here and now you continue to search. It stops right over the exact house that they need to go into. And in that moment, they are filled with such great joy. Because they have experienced how the light was revealed and guides them to the place that the light wants them to be. And in that moment, they're getting ready to see how the light will change their lives forever. And they didn't even know it yet. So if you've ever been to a a movie theater or on an airplane before, my guess is that you've seen those lights on the ground that mark the aisles. And besides just revealing to you what is around you, and that there is somewhere else to go, these lights serve a very specific function. They guide you, right? They help you get from one place to the next, whether you're uh, trying to find your seat or going to the bathroom or just looking for the exit. And what makes these specific lights so unique is that they are always on. 
That uh, when other lights go on and off, these lights remain on, and then as the lights go off and it gets dark, they stay on to guide. That they light the way for us, they guide us, they will never uh, abandon us and never go out. And I don't know about you, but besides when I'm using those lights or I see them on the ground, they're generally irrelevant to me, and yet they are still shining. Even when I think they're not impacting me, they are still always on. It's kind of amazing how something that we don't ever really think about or even consider its use, something so simple can point us towards this reality of the power of light to guide us. And so uh, we see how light guides, uh, it reveals what's going on for the Magi, this incredible moment, this thing has happened. And then it guides them to the place that they need to be. And finally, as they're in the presence of the light, they get to do the thing that they've been wanting to do all along. That, as they said, they wanted to pay this light homage. They wanted to follow the star to pay the king homage. They wanted to worship this newborn king. They are now in the presence of the one true light. And as they have come upon this presence, they will experience what the light does beyond that moment. See, because here we see how the light sustains them. That the light will will continue to go on with them even when they leave. Because right, that's how the story goes. They, they come, uh, they worship, they give their gifts, and then they prepare to go back to Jerusalem to tell Herod to fulfill what they had said they were going to do. Except a dream comes upon them telling them to go a different way. And for you and I, we'll never know what that dream said, but I think it's fair to say that that dream was just the light showing up once again. It was the light this time sustaining them to tell them, don't go back to Herod. To instead go home a different way, that we will guide you once again, that the light will continue to shine over you and sustain you on your journey home and for the rest of your life. See, this entire story of the Magi shows us just how powerful life is in our lives. And more importantly, it shows us how uh, the power of the greatest light the world has ever known is on display. That light is not just an object in our lives, but light is a person. That uh, light comes in the one true light, who is Jesus. And what does Jesus come to do for me and for you? He comes to reveal the world around us. He comes to guide us each and every day. And he comes to sustain us. And in doing all those things, he fulfills this incredible promise that he is the one true light that brings hope to the world. And we see this most clearly in what he does. See, uh, God knew that we need the light of Jesus. That without Jesus, uh, we would only be living in a broken, sinful, dark world. Without Jesus, our lives would be like walking into a dark room and not only not being able to find the light, but wandering around in the darkness not knowing where you're going, what you're doing, or why you're even doing it. And yet, God knows that it's not supposed to be this way. God doesn't want it to be this way, and so he sends the light. Going all the way back to creation, when God first spoke those words, and he said, let there be light. God has sent his light into the world because we need that light. And so as Jesus is here with us, He begins to reveal how he has changed our lives. He shines in us and then through us. And then Jesus begins to guide us with this light. 
He is the light that goes before us. And we follow this light because it has been given to us as a gift, and it is always on. There is uh, no point in which the light of Jesus ever goes out. Even if we turn away from it, even if we're not thinking about it, that light remains on for us, and it's always calling us back. It's always us leading us along the way, showing up for us at every single moment, because that light, the light of Jesus, is always with us, and his light will one day lead us to the reality that it has overcome darkness forever. And this is a difficult truth for us to confess and sometimes for us to hang on to, that the light of Jesus is revealing himself in his work and guiding us every day. Because the truth is, we still experience the reality of living in a broken, sinful, and dark world. We see the darkness in the world around us. We experience uh, darkness in our personal lives in all kinds of ways. As a church family, we experience the darkness in the midst of our grief. But even in our grief, the light of Jesus still shines. Because he is the light that overcomes the darkness of death and the grave. He is the light that meets us in the midst of our grief and reminds us that because of him, there is still hope. We do not grieve like those who walk in darkness because we have seen the light. We therefore walk with this light and experience the hope that comes through Jesus. That at every moment in our lives, at every point, wherever darkness may be, Jesus' light will shine brighter. That is the power of the light. That is the power of Jesus. That his light has come to shine on us. That he saves us from the darkness of this world. And helps us find our way each and every day. The celebration of Epiphany is one uh, that I love so much. Because it reminds me that no matter how dark the world may seem. No matter how dark the world around me may look. And no matter how much darkness sin may throw at us. There is a light that will always shine brighter. Jesus is the light who has overcome the darkness for me and for you. He shines so that even on our darkest days, we know that his light is brighter. My hope and my prayer for you this epiphany is that you hold on to that light. That you hold on to Jesus as he reveals the world around you, as he guides you, and as he sustains you. So that the hope that he brings with this light will carry you each and every day. Because in Jesus, there is no darkness at all. He is the light that shines through the darkness. And darkness will never overcome him. Because of that promise. The promise that God makes in Jesus to me and to you. That his light shines in the darkness. No darkness will ever overcome you. He is your light. And he shines in you, through you, and for you, now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we continue.